We'll continue this morning as we study through the book of Acts and we've reached a part of our journey through the book where we get to this, this concept of teamwork and putting all things together, moving in one direction for the glory of God. And before neck surgery and back surgery, I used to play football years ago, and this is not reliving glory moments but this is pointing out something that's going to really link and tie into what Luke is showing us this morning. When I played football, I was a quarterback, and it wasn't because I had the best arm or was the best athlete on the team. It was because some coaches saw in me some leadership capacity, and one of the flaws of that leadership capacity was I demanded a lot out of the people around me. I expected perfection, and this is high school football. There was no perfection in high school football, and so often you would have seen me on a football field kind of getting onto an offensive lineman who missed a block. I was the quarterback, so I did get hit when they missed a block, and so I would get on the offensive lineman, but I would also get on the backs and some other people who would miss assignments or be a step slow, but I remember one time I was kind of letting somebody have it in a huddle, and the next thing I know, my coach had reached into that huddle, and he had grabbed me by my face mask. Y'all, I want to tell you that is not politically correct. But he grabbed me by my face mask, he drugged me through that huddle, that entire huddle, shook it a little bit up and down, and then he made sure that he had my attention. He said, everybody on this team has a job, and then he got really close, and I could smell his breath. He had onions for lunch. He said, do your job. Everybody has a job on this team. Do your job. And and I understood. I got the message. And this morning, as we get into the latter parts of chapter 18 into the first part of chapter 19, Luke introduces us to a brand new character, then 12 more characters. And in so doing, church, what he does without really just listing it out and saying, hey, here's what I'm doing, but he's doing it in an underlying fashion. We're seeing all these different characters he introduces us to, and some of their roles overlap, yet they're doing them independently of each other, not getting discontent with their role, not getting distracted by the other person's role, but making sure they're carrying out their role so the church itself is moving forward. And so here's where I want you to focus your attention this morning, that every person in this church, every believer has a role within this particular body. And if we will focus on doing our role and doing it to the best of our ability for the glory of God, this church can accomplish things that it's never even seen before. Because then it becomes about God, not about the individual. And so for us to do that, though, we're going to have to put aside. We've got to put aside selfishness or desires or those things, and we need to look and see what the text teaches us through the writings of Luke about this idea of the body having this one purpose and all of us working together for the one purpose. So this morning, I want you to focus on doing your job. Father, as we come to you this morning, we do so humbly. Lord, we have no reason to call upon you except for the favor that Christ Jesus has bestowed upon us as you have given us the gift of faith to believe in Him, submit to His Lordship over our life, sealed us with His very Holy Spirit, we can come before Your throne boldly, is what Paul told Timothy. And so, Lord, we come before You boldly to offer You worship. Father, we pray that You have already, already experienced the exaltation of Your person in this room. But Father, what we also pray is that now we would worship you even more deeply as we open up our minds and we listen to your revelation to us, that Father, you would grant us the gift of wisdom to be able to comprehend exactly what you're trying to say to us, but Father, even deeper still, how you would want us to apply these truths, that Father, in the end of this discussion today, here's what we would know for sure, that we're not followers after Jesus, we are followers of Jesus. And so, Father, I pray that in becoming deeper 
more devoted followers of Jesus that this church would continue to thrive in ways that that we don't even comprehend, that we don't even anticipate because, Father, it is all for the purpose of your body thriving, the bride of Christ thriving. And so, Father, give us that wisdom and that gift, and we will praise you for it in Christ Jesus' name alone. And all of God's people said, amen. If you would, join with me in your text by looking at verse 24 out of chapter 18. Again, looking for this theme, this central idea that we all have this role. Now, a Jew named Apollos, a native Alexandrian, an eloquent man who was competent in the use of the Scriptures, arrived in Ephesus. A couple of key things there. First of all, it says he was a Jew, so here's what you need to understand. Uh, even though he is from Egypt, and we'll point out where that is, he has obviously converted to Judaism. So it's not just a belief in Yahweh, it is practicing all the things that a Jew would practice. It also tells us that he is an Alexandrian. If you'll see, Alexandria is a port city on the Mediterranean. Uh, It is the northernmost part of Egypt. And you'll notice Israel over here to the east, it is not a long, long journey across there. So it would have been constant traffic coming out of Israel. So people spreading Judaism. So that is more than likely how Apollos came to be a Jew. But you're also going to understand that he is a Christ follower in just a minute. So he's also heard of the Christian way. But there's a couple things it points out about Apollos that you need to recognize. Notice it says that he was an eloquent man, loios in Greek, loios. And loios doesn't mean actually great speaker. That's not what it's referring to. Most of us in the English culture... If you say eloquent, I think you're a great speaker. That's not this word. Loios actually means educated. It's a reference to formal education. Now, remember who's writing this. A doctor is writing this text, inspired by the Holy Spirit. So Luke is very formally educated. And here's what he says about Apollos. This dude is formally educated. So this is one smart guy calling another smart guy really smart. And so Apollos actually was very, very well trained. Notice what it says. He was competent in the use of scriptures. The word competent is denatos. Denatos means expert. So, so if you remember, remember he's a Jew first. He, he's a Jew. The experts in Jewish law were the Sadducees. These were like the attorneys. They were extremely educated in the first five books of the Bible. In fact, if you'd wanted somebody to come and testify on your behalf as a character witness of following scripture, it would have been these guys. Hey, yeah, he kept the Torah. This guy was an expert in the law. Well, well, Apollos is considered not only competent, he's an expert in all things Jewish. So this guy would have been like a Sadducee mixed in with a little bit of Pharisee. So we don't know where his training came from, but more than likely it was a recognized rabbi for him to be recognized by Luke this deeply, this admirably. His training is advanced. And so he is very, very expert in what you and I would call the Scriptures. Now, remember, he's arrived in Ephesus. Paul's already been there. You know, Corinth to Ephesus and Apollos is coming in behind Paul. Now remember, Paul's already been there. He's already gone to the synagogue. He's already reasoned. He's already argued with the Jews. He's moved on. He's gone to the Gentiles. And so you've got Apollos coming behind Paul, not trying to correct what Paul did, but carrying out his own role. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit. Let me stop right there. He's instructed in the way of the Lord. So he's a Jew who is also becoming a follower of Jesus. Now understand why I say he's a follower. Because it comes right back and says he's fervent in the spirit. Fervent is the word zeo, z-e-o, zeo. Zeo actually means committed to or devoted to the spirit. So, so here's a guy who possesses the Holy Spirit. You, only, you understand, the only people who possess Holy Spirit are Christ's followers. So his background is Jewish. He has also been instructed in the way, the hodos. Jesus says, I am the hodos. I am the way to the Father. So here's what he understands. 
Old Testament Judaism. This is about Yahweh the Father. I believe that Jesus is the way to the Father, but but here's something that you're going to learn. He only had part of the teaching about Jesus. He didn't understand the whole part about the Holy Spirit. Yeah, we're going to get to that, and that's why Luke introduces two people you just met last week, Aquila and Priscilla, who are going to help him out. So they've all got this different role, and they're all pushing towards the same goal to help each other. There's no jealousy here. There's no distraction. There's no discontentment. It is people pushing together towards the same goal. So again, notice, he's fervent in the Spirit. means he's devoted to the work of the Spirit. So he's got the Spirit. He just doesn't know he's got the Spirit. You know the old cheer, right? I've got Spirit. Yes, I do. I've got Spirit. How about you? You all know that one, right? Well, well, he doesn't know he's got it. He's got it. He just doesn't know yet that he's got it. But he's going to learn. He was speaking and teaching accurately about Jesus. So notice... Only a Christ follower can speak and teach accurately about Jesus. So he's got it. He's saved. He's born again. He's redeemed. He's a Christ follower who's got a Jewish background. He just doesn't get this spirit thing yet. And Luke wants to clarify this. Although he knew only John's baptism. Uh, We'll get to that in chapter 19 about what John's baptism is, but let me give you John's baptism in a nutshell. John showed up and he said, hey, I'm, I'm the precursor. There's going to be one coming after me. That's the guy you're going to believe in. However, prior to that, I want to baptize you into repentance. And here's all that meant. You're going to be symbolically baptized to show that you're changing your life yourself. He's not talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. John didn't understand that part yet. He's talking about your individual choice to admit that I'm going to turn from a lifestyle of sin. So I recognize there's sin in my life. I want to turn away from that life and go a different direction. This is Apollos. Apollos didn't understand that at the point of his belief in Jesus, he was sealed by the Holy Spirit, but he had been baptized in repentance, meaning I'm going to live a different life. He didn't understand he wasn't doing it on his own. He was doing it in the power of the Spirit, but he's going to learn. Remember, we have a role, right? Sometimes our role is to help others to fulfill their role better. Look at verse 26. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue after Priscilla and Aquila heard him. They took him aside and explained the way of God to him more accurately. See, see, get this. They're listening to him, but they've also heard Paul. Y'all do know Paul had the message completely right. So Paul had it all right. Paul had received the Holy Spirit. He knew about baptism in the Spirit, so they had heard from the Master himself. So they've heard from Paul. And so they now they hear Apollos, and Luke says when they hear Apollos, they go, man, he's teaching accurately. He's teaching devoted to the Spirit. Oh, he's leaving some stuff out. But they don't call him out. Like, they don't embarrass him. They don't stand up and go, oh, wait, dude, listen. Paul said this, and because Paul said it, and you didn't, you're wrong. Notice what Luke says. Luke says they pulled him aside. They're not offended. They're not jealous. They're not discontent. They simply want to progress him on his path forward. And so they pull him aside, and they make it more clear to him. And here's what Luke doesn't tell us. What they're making more clear is this. Hey, dude, you've been baptized in more than just repentance. We can tell you this, you've received something you don't even know you've got. Let us tell you about the Spirit. And you go, well, how could a guy named Apollos be so educated, not know about the Spirit? Y'all, y'all do know this is before Snapchat and Instagram. I don't know how they knew about anything at this point. There was no Facebook. There's no telephones, no telegraphs. What happened at Pentecost, Apollos probably had never even heard of. He didn't know about flaming tongues above the heads. Y'all remember, this is the same book, Acts 2. That's where the flaming tongues happen. This is Acts 18. He doesn't know. It's not in writing yet, and so he doesn't know what he does not know. 
And so now God has used the body to come together with a different function, each of us pushing towards the same goal, and they're educating him. And they're, they're about to launch him, not just educate him, they're going to send this dude out. When he wanted to cross over to Achaia, if you remember, we looked at the map last week in Paul's second missionary journey. Achaia is where Corinth is located. Achaia is the region. Corinth is the major city. So he wants to go to Corinth. Man, that's where the big thriving church is. And we know it's a church. Hang on, we'll learn that. The brothers and the sisters wrote to the disciples to welcome him. All right, here's what I want you to grasp. Jesus died on the cross 30 to 33 AD. We got a three-year window, 30 to 33 AD. We know Acts was written somewhere 52-ish to 55 AD, so 20 years, a 20-year gap. In 20 years, churches had become formal, like, like they were recognized formal. And you're like, well, how do we know that? D- did you read what this just said? The church over here in Ephesus wrote to the church in Corinth. Like it said, they wrote to the brothers and sisters. They didn't write to a person in Corinth. They wrote to the church. So, so there was a formalized, institutionalized, a body of Christ, membership-taken church over in Corinth that the church in Ephesus actually wrote their letter to. And they're speaking on his behalf. And so do understand, people have argued, oh, you know, the, the church in the, in the United States is not modeled after the New Testament church at all. All they did was gather in homes and, and they just shared. And co- they wrote letters to formal bodies. A church wrote to a church. It didn't say a person wrote to a person. It said brothers, sisters, plural, wrote to brothers, sisters, plural. So a church wrote to a church. Now, whether they had a P.O. box or a mailbox, I can't tell you, but here's what I can tell you. A church wrote to the church, and so they write this letter. After he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. Church, the word help, it kind of means help, but it means more than that. It's symbio. Uh, It's where we get symbiotic. You know what symbiotic things are? They're working together. They're interacting with each other. Symbio means to come to know or to experience. The only way he became a help to them is he became one of them. Let me go ahead and clarify your role in this church. If you come here and attend worship and you walk out the door and that is your only interaction with people in this church, you're not being a part of the church. He was a help to them because he became one of them. He was symbiotic with them. Symbio, he conversed with them. He engaged them. He experienced them. If you're not choosing to have fellowship to experience those within this body, then then you're just kind of taking from the body what doesn't belong to you. You're required scripturally to do more than just attend. It's about you impacting other people within the body of Christ. And so he was a help to them because he interacted with them. For he vigorously refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating through the scriptures that Jesus is the Messiah. Notice this, he didn't give them opinion. He pointed out to them and provided evidence to them of Jesus and his Messiahship using scripture alone. There's some great books written about scripture, but Apollos wasn't using them. Apollos was actually using, remember, he was an expert in the Old Testament. That's exactly what Luke, Dr. Luke said. This guy's an expert in the Scriptures. And so he uses Scripture to point out all the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled and that Jesus was Messiah, chapter 19. While Apollos was in Corinth, so Apollos had the letter written ahead of him. Those believers in Ephesus wanted to help him get launched, so he's over there in Corinth preaching away now. Paul traveled through the interior regions and came to Ephesus. Apollo has vacated He's going to do his thing. Paul comes right in behind him. He finds some disciples 
And he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No, they told him. We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And and church, listen, me and you are looking at it 2,000 years this way. We're looking backwards at these guys going, how could you not have known about the Holy Spirit? Well, because they didn't have this that I'm holding in my hand. There was no Bible. There was no New Testament. It's being written while we're reading this. And so these people believed in Jesus. They had heard of Jesus. They believed in Him. But please hear me. The Bible says in the book of James that even the demons believe in Jesus. So, so, So here's the thing. Your belief alone without assigning to Him Godship, your belief without assigning Him Godship is not enough for salvation. It takes more than just the belief. You have to recognize the Lordship. See, the demons believe in Jesus because they've seen Him. Like you and I have not seen Him. Literally, you know the demons have seen Him, right? They were all in heaven together and Jesus watched as Satan and his little legion was kicked out by Michael. They've seen Him. So they believe in Him, but they do not ascribe to Him the deity He deserves. They do not ascribe to Him the Lordship over their lives. And so He says, hey, were you guys baptized in the Spirit? And they're like, well, what? What do you mean, Holy Spirit? They, they didn't know anything about Holy Spirit. Why? Because they had not been with Jesus in person. They had not heard Him say that He told His apostles, hey, when I leave, I'm going to send to you the counselor, the third, the paracletes, the go-between. I'm going to send you that guy. They didn't know any of this. They had not heard this. And so they didn't even know there was supposed to be anything like the Holy Spirit coming. Well, into what then were you baptized? He asked them. Into John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people that they should believe in the one who would come after him, that is, in Jesus. Well, see, here's all they knew. They didn't even know a name. They knew we're to believe in the one that comes after John, and then they're kind of standing there going, hey, we believe in the one that comes after John. Who's, who is that? So they believe in the Messiah. They just don't know who he is. Well, you do understand, if you don't know Jesus personally, then you're not a follower of Jesus. Notice, they're following after him, meaning they're chasing after who the Messiah is, but they're not followers of. They have not been converted yet. So remember, belief is the beginning of the journey. It takes a personal knowledge of who the Messiah is, which is Jesus, and then ascribing to Him lordship that completes that process. They had not yet crossed over to that level of conversion, but it's about to happen. Look at verse 5. When they heard this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Heard is not heard. Heard means to hear. That's past tense, to hear. That's not this word. This is akuvo, and akuvo means able to understand. They had not understood. They had never heard of the Holy Spirit. They didn't know who Jesus was. They had not yet understood. And here's the thing. You've got to always connect these two dots. You cannot understand minus God in the Spirit coming before you according to Ephesians 2 and giving you the gift of faith to understand. You can't understand on your own. Here, through the words of Paul, the Holy Spirit shows up. The Holy Spirit gifts them with the gift of faith. Now they can understand. See, see hearing is this. We're talking about hearing right here. Like sometimes I have to stop my children and go, do you hear me? I'm not asking do they hear me. Oh, they can hear me. I'm asking do they hear me? Do you understand me? So for the very first time, y'all, they got it. That's that's what we're talking about. Belief is one step in the process. There is a journey. It's a completion of the process. And now they've received the gift. Now they get it. 
And now they're baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Notice this, verse 6, and I'll go ahead for those who underline or highlight. This is the only verse in the New Testament where we have baptism, then the laying on the hands, and then the coming of the Spirit. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began to speak in other tongues and to prophesy, and there were about 12 men in all. A couple things real quick. Um, Again, this is the only example in the book of Acts where there is water baptism, a laying on of hands, and then the coming of the Spirit. It's it's all different in the book of Acts. In in some churches, some denominations have wanted to say it's going to be the same experience in the same order for all believers That's not in the book of Acts. It it, it comes at different times. In the book of Acts, Acts 2, when the Spirit first came, it came as a mighty rushing wind. He came. And the next thing you saw was what? Little flames, little burning red tongues above their heads. You know how many more times that gets repeated in Scripture? Zero. Happened one time. And then later on, we get it to where all of a sudden they're speaking in tongues, then they're baptized in the name of Jesus. And then we have it here where they're baptized, hands are laid on them, and then they speak in tongues. So so you do understand the salvation experience will have the same elements, but it may happen chronologically a little bit different. But I want to explain tongues real quickly, and we don't have time theologically to go in depth. The word there is glosa. Glosa can mean three things. It can mean tongue, this muscle, uh, tongue. James says the most difficult thing in the world to control right here. James chapter 3, go back and read it and just weep for a while because it's all true. So it can mean tongue. It can mean a known language, so like a dialect. It can mean ecstatic prayer language. I want you to understand what's meant in this text. When they spoke, they spoke a known language. How do we know that? Because it says they prophesied, meaning they foretold truth of Scripture. Not foretold future, foretold truth of Scripture in languages people could understand. Y'all do understand that's not ecstatic prayer language. If it's foretelling of Scripture and of truth that they understand, that's in a known language. And so what they spoke in was a known language. That's not to say that there isn't a prayer language. Paul says there is in 1 Corinthians 14. But you do remember what Paul said about that gift. It needs to be in his closet because it's not beneficial to the body. We're talking about what's beneficial to the body. So so speaking in tongues is only beneficial to the body if it's in something you understand. And it's going to help you understand truth better. And so, again, he's very clear, but church, don't, don't get confused. Don't want to get a sidetracked here. That, that's, that's just a small, tiny rabbit trail. Let's get back on the main one. This text is not about speaking in tongues. This text is not even about baptism. This text is about each individual that Luke records for us doing their job. Apollos does his job. Aquila, Priscilla, they do their job. Paul does their job. These 12 disciples are now doing their job. They're instruments of grace as they speak truth. It's all of them doing their job. And here's the thing you must remember. If within the body of Christ we don't all do our job, then there's something negative that comes out of that. Let me explain it to you in a real-life way. The last actor shooter training I went through uh, back around 2011, uh, I was very blessed to, to be in a great academy setting and had a great team of people. I was probably the most tactically trained out of that group, so I was made team leader. We trained a full 40-hour week. On Friday, you had real-life scenarios where literally they bring you into a room and go, here's your intel, a building you've never been in. We know that there are hostages. There's at least one shooter. He's making demands. Go get them. 
And virtually, that's how most active shooter situations go. You don't get much more information than that. So I take my team, and we go, and we clear this building. I uh, didn't engage anybody until I came to a hallway door. When I got to that door, there's two people standing in that door, and they're interlocked like this, and they're both screaming and yelling and shaking their heads. And what we came to learn was these are the two hostages standing in the door. And when I tell you they were both big old boys, I'm just going to say they big old boys. How they got both of them in that door at the same time, I'm still not sure. But somehow they got them, they got them in that door. And so I'm trying to figure out from them, you know, one shooter, two shooters, where are they at? And these guys aren't helping me at all, which they're not supposed to, but I'm trying to get information from them. I'm trying to carry on dialogue with a hostage taker inside. He wanted a cheeseburger and a helicopter. No kidding, that was the truth. He wanted a cheeseburger and a helicopter. Um, I was making excuses for why I couldn't get him a helicopter. He got very angry. He says, if you say another word, my wife dies. I hear her scream. So I've got two hostages in the door at least. I've got a wife on the inside and at least one shooter I know on the inside. And me being the team leader, I'm having to formulate a plan to come up with how we're going to get these guys out of the door without them getting smoke from behind and us take the shooter out and all this stuff. It's just as real life as we can make it. And so I didn't speak another word. I pointed to my partner. He starts talking to him while he's talking to the shooter. I'm trying to get a plan worked out with my two giants that are standing in the doorway. And we finally came to a conclusion. Uh, on the count of three, these two giants are going to try to move this guy first and this one because there's no way to move them both through that door at the same time. It wasn't going to happen. And so I, I've got them understanding through sign language and hand language, hey, on the count of three, you're coming out, you're going that way, and I'm coming right over the top of you. And so they got it. We communicated the plan. The guy on the inside is becoming more and more agitated. Okay, that's it. That's it. You, you've just sentenced her to death. And so one, two, three, my two giants come out of the door. As this one's leaving, I'm right off his hip, straight into the door, two steps into the door. I'm engaging who was the active shooter. He's got the hostage, and before he can get a round off, I put three rounds on target. Guy goes down because we're using simunition rounds. All simunition rounds are is a live 9mm round where they take the actual metal out of the front, the lead, and they replace it with a soap pellet that travels at 480 feet per second, and it will penetrate the skin. We're not allowed to use any body armor. The only thing we're allowed to use is face and eye protection uh, because if you get shot, they want you to experience it. They want you to feel what it's like to be shot without formerly dying. And so that's the plan. So I come in, I'm two steps in, boom, 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 boom. I'm lighting my guy up. He goes down. Wife is saved. Two big boys are out the door. And just about the time I'm going to secure him, I feel the most searing pain you can imagine in my right side. Two of them, boom, boom. I hear the rounds go off and I'm like, oh, that is really, 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 really bad. Um, because I was extended. And so being extended in this type of position and taking two rounds from that angle, had that been real live rounds, I wouldn't be sharing with you this morning. Uh, because those would have been lethal. Well, what had happened was this. As I made my entry, I had a lane of fire, and I stayed in my lane of fire, which is the discipline of a tactical shooter. I complete what I'm supposed to do. I'm completing my role in securing my guy, making sure he's unarmed. But the guy who was supposed to come off my right hip, because I engaged immediately, guess where his attention went? His attention went to my shooter. Even though he knew his assigned duty was to take the opposite lane of fire to make sure there was no shooter. And you know what this shooter did when you had two shooters in the room that had never even engaged him? He shot both of us. Now, fortunately, this was a training incident. Otherwise, it would have been very, very negative, And the outcome would have been very, very tragic. All because, and again, I'm not blaming my partner because my partner did what is very instinctive. When you hear gunfire go off, you can't help but look. Unless you have trained for hours and hours in hours, so your mind understands, I cannot afford to look. I've got to clear my target. 
and he just had not gone through that amount of training. And so instinctively, as I start to engage, he comes into the room. He took the right steps, but he never looked. He came back to my target, and we both ended up tragically not faring well in that assignment. And I can't share with you all the language that was shared with us from our instructors about how miserably we had just failed that. All because somebody did not do his job. He did not maintain his role in this particular scenario. He did not stay in his lane. And so my challenge to you this morning is simply this. Stay in your own lane. Stay in your own lane. Now listen, we can take this, listen, we can take this because it's a godly principle. We can take this and apply it to things more than the church. Within your home, husbands and wives, look up here for a minute. Within your home, stay in your own lane. If you wonder what your your lane is, Scripture defines it very clearly. In your home, stay in your own lane. Students, Students who have parents, grandparents in this room, look at me. Stay in your own lane. You're still under the authority of those in your home. Stay in your lane. The church, we're talking church collective, right? We are under the authority of Christ Jesus as the head and over his church. He has made different assignments. Each of you now have a role. Why? For the betterment of his bride. And so we are to stay in our own lane if we are to function together and take the church where God desires for his church to go. But he is so gracious and he does allow us to have free will choice in certain things that we do. He will allow us to mess it up by not staying in our own lane. And when we don't stay in our own lane, then there's always some type of dysfunction. It may not be tragedy, but there's always a dysfunction that occurs. So what does our text show us? Number one, you need to figure out what your role is. What is your role? Well, here's how you figure out your role. What is it that you're passionate about or that you enjoy? Some of you may not want to be here on Wednesday night working with children that are in the second grade. That's your pastor. That's not my job. And I don't mean it's not what I get paid for. It's just not my calling. I love two-year-old kids. Yours, because I can give them back. And I'm glad mine aren't two any longer. It's just not my deal. Some of you may not be cut out for 13 and 14-year-olds in junior high on a Wednesday night. Some of you may not be cut out to lead a small group. That's, that's okay. But you know what? You might, be, you might be just fine standing in front of a door and welcoming somebody. You might be just fine passing a plate where people are giving their tithes and offerings. You might, be, you might thrive going and remaining at the hospital with someone while loved one's in surgery. You might be great at taking someone to get their groceries or their medicines because they're not able to drive right now. You may be great at taking a meal to somebody and loving them after they've lost a loved one and maybe being kind enough to shoot a text or, or make a phone call saying, hey, I'm praying for you. Don't tell them you know how they feel because you don't. Don't make that mistake, but just say, hey, listen, I'm praying for you. How can I help you? What can I do for you? You may be great at that. But remember, we, we figure out what our role is in, in church. Here's the thing most of us figure out. We've got a lot of roles. I've got a role as husband and dad in my home. I've got a role as an instructor on the campus of College of the Ozarks. I've got a role as an executive board member for the State of Missouri Baptist Convention. I've got a role on Together Forever Schuyler, their, their nonprofit board. I've got a role on FCA board. I've got a role as your senior pastor. We've got these multiple roles. We just have to figure out to do our roles well. And part of doing our roles well, just jump down to number four real quick, and then we'll go back up. 
Part of doing our role well is helping others do theirs. Not telling them how they're doing it incorrectly. Not, not telling them. Notice, Aquila and Priscilla didn't pull Apollos aside and say, you're messing this up. You're leaving out part. No, they, they encouraged him. Man, let, let, us, let us explain this to you more fully, so much so that they wrote a letter on his behalf to another church saying, hey, you need to receive this guy. You need to welcome this dude. And so part of our role as a church is assisting others in maximizing their potential. As your, as your senior pastor, here's one of my key roles as leading the staff, helping the staff members that work alongside me to be the very best in their role that they can be. That's why they go to training, our women's ministry leadership team. Uh, Megan, who is over our women's ministry, they just got back from a conference this weekend. Why do we fund those things? Because they can be maximally effective when they come back, because Megan and that women's leadership team, they're going to have association and impact on women that your pastor will never have, nor do I need to have. And so again, this is why we do those things, again, maximizing their potential. Get properly trained. Why do you think we're, listen, listen, right after this service, you know what's happening, right? First impressions training, you're like, well, what kind of training is involved in opening the door? Well, we do want to make sure you don't hurt yourself while you're doing it. But secondly, we want you to understand what we want you to do instead of just opening the door. It's, it's a first impression. Remember, when, when a visitor comes up, in case you don't know, our church has seven minutes before someone has formulated their opinion about this church. Seven minutes. There's been tons of research and study. There's a book written on this. No kidding. There's a book written on this. You've got seven minutes to make a first impression on a brand new person. So why are we having training? Because we don't want to mess that seven minutes up. If God is sending somebody here that's going to be another role within this body of Christ to glorify Him, we want to do it well. And so our first impressions team is going to have training. Be confident. Well, you can only be confident if you're committed to what you're doing. As I stepped into the room and I engaged what was supposed to be an active shooter, I was confident in my role. Why? Because I was committed to one thing. I've got a lane of fire, and if that dude's in my lane of fire, I win. That was it. That was the only thing I was committed to. But because I was committed to it and devoted to it, remember what it said about Apollos? He was fervent in the spirit. Zeo, he was committed to. He was devoted to. Why could he go in and reason with the Jews? Because he was committed to what he was doing. The only way you can be confident in your role is if you are committed to your role. If you're discontent in that role, which is number five, if you're discontent or dissatisfied in that role, you'll never be confident in it because you're not devoted or committed to it. And then finally, Again, as you skip all the way down to number five, don't get sidetracked. Don't get sidetracked. Well, so-and-so does this, and so-and-so does that. I don't feel like I'm doing anything. Listen, if you're still here, God still has a job for you. Otherwise, he would have taken you home. You do understand there is no church service retirement plan in Scripture. We are to serve in some capacity as long as we are physically capable of serving. You do know, no kidding, on Wednesday night, we got a group of people. This is their role of service. They take a seat, and a child who's in Awana just recites a biblical verse to them. That's it. That's, it. That's all they do. They sit down, and two or three kids will sit down, and they will recite to that person the verses they have committed to memory. You do understand there's no, no more important role than allowing our kids to have a chance to have biblical knowledge before they become adults like us. And them committing it to their heart. Here's what David says, man, treasure it. And the word heart doesn't mean heart, it means mind. How do you treasure 
God's Word in your mind, you memorize it, and we're allowing our kids just to recite passages. Most of us can sit and listen. If that's the only thing you can still do, that's okay. It's a great ministry. But there's got to be a role for you within your home. There's got to be a role for you in your vocation. There's got to be a role for you within your local church setting because each of us has a role. Some will be more out front. Some will be more behind the scenes. And that's all based on how God has made you and designed you. Please hear me. There are some people in this room that would pass smooth out if you had to stand up and talk to all these folks every Sunday. But there's other folks who just find great joy in making food for people and going to serve them and me never even knowing that you've done it. Because if you remember, it's all about what we're doing in our role, not about the glory we get, but about the glory God's church receives. That's what it's about. So here, here's how we close. For the Christ followers, those of you who are followers of Jesus, you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit because you've been gifted with the gift of faith that God has given to believers. Let me ask you this this morning. Are you certain of your role? Are you certain of your role and are you employing it in your home, in your workspace, in your school space, if you're a student or in your local church? Are you aware of your role and you can see the fruit of that? If not, then we need to work on that. And you're like, well, how do I even discover my role? Hey, I've got a suggestion for you. Even if you're a long-term member here, if you have never determined your role in our church, go to our new members class. It's going to be the last Sunday of this month. Pastor Jeff's going to teach it in the fellowship hall. One of the things we try to do to people who are interested or do with people who are interested in our church is help them to understand the different roles. Maybe if you went to that class, you might actually determine in a greater fashion what your role here may actually be. And you may be a long-term member here. But we need, to, we need for you to figure out what your role is. Secondly, I want, I want you to really pause for a minute and I want you to think through this. Are you certain as you sit here this morning that you're not a follower after Jesus, but you're a follower of Jesus. Y'all remember the disciples we talked about? Man, listen, they had been baptized in repentance. So under their own power, they had done what they could to not live a sinful lifestyle. They had been baptized to symbolically represent, hey, I'm trying to live a holy life. But remember, they had never even heard of the Spirit. Thus, they had never received the Spirit. They had never truly submitted to the lordship of Jesus. They were still waiting for the one John talked about to come. So they didn't have a lordship-God relationship with Christ Jesus. So let me ask you this morning, are you trying to be good? I'm trying to live well. I'm trying to live by the golden rule. I'm trying to be a good person. Or are you truly saved, born again, spirit-filled, sealed by the Holy Spirit, follower of Jesus? Because there is a difference. There are a lot of good people that are going to stand before Jesus, and here's what he's going to say. I know you said, Lord, Lord, but here's what I tell you. I never knew you. Are you sure this morning you know Jesus because you have believed not only in the person of Jesus, but you have submitted to the God of Jesus? God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, it is the Trinity. It is the Holy Lord of all. Have you submitted to him and his power over you? And if not, listen, this is what I'm going to ask you. If not, but you are interested, or if not, and you're like, yes, today's the day, same action for both groups. When we stand and pray, I want you to walk right over here where it says exit, and there's going to be a group of folks sitting there just waiting for you. And they're just waiting for you to walk over where they can say, hey, so, so what is it that you're, 
You're kind of processing through, well, I have decided today, I know for a fact, God has empowered me to understand, I want to be a follower of Jesus. Great, they're going to celebrate with you and they're going to confirm you what comes next. Because there is a next, there's a baptism that needs to follow and there's understanding your role in church and a new member's class, if you want it to be here, there's some things they want to explain to you. However, maybe you're like, hey, I'm not really sure exactly. Um, Yes, I believe in Jesus. I don't know about submitting to lordship. I'm not sure I even understand exactly what that means. Can you explain that? Yes, we can. And in fact, the group that you would talk to over here is very well trained. And they have sat down with Jeff and members from the Missouri Baptist Convention, and we've got a great biblical material, and they will walk you through what Scripture says about becoming a follower of Jesus, not just chasing after Jesus. We want you to be a true follower, a true disciple. And so if that's you today, when we stand to pray, and those in this room who are still Christ's followers are remaining in their seats and processing, what is my role? I want you to start your journey. So stand with me and let's pray together as the Lord moves among us. Father, thank you for giving us a chance to worship you this morning. Thank you for giving us a chance to make commitments. Father, just like Apollos, it said he was devoted, 